right, Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> please, Matthew chapter 5, we'll be finishing up this chapter this morning, so look with me if you would to verse 43, Matthew five forty-three. ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemy. Bless him that curse you, do good unto them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love him which love you, what reward have ye? Do not the, even the publicans do the same? And if you salute your brethren... Only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans do so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your love. And Father, you give a very clear picture here, what we just stated, that Love is one of the ways that we illustrate our Heavenly Father to this world. We can display that we are children because of the love that we get to show. And so, Father, I thank you for Jesus giving more clarity to an Old Testament commandment. Father, that is what this passage has been about. Is Jesus taking these six illustrations to remind that just keeping the letter of the law was not enough. That was not how you achieve righteousness, and that is certainly not how you represented Jesus himself and his kingdom. So, Father, give us clarity this morning. Help us to understand, Lord, this amazing imagery, and especially in our world today. Wow. Uh, you've been building and building upon all these truths, and today we look at the way we ought to respond to people in this world because of the way that you've responded to us. So, Father, uh, be with my mind. Uh, Lord, it is your word. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. We're just sharing this together. So, Father, just bless it today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so right to the slides this morning. Just a quick review uh, for the first slide again. Uh, my wife is like, ah. Okay, spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. We are continuing. We're finishing up this chapter. So God is more interested in you being who he wants you to be than just doing what he wants you to do. And we've said this many times. There are millions of people inside the doors of churches, synagogues, sanctuaries this morning who are doing what they're expected, but they're not being the kind of people that the Lord Jesus Christ wants them to be. Okay, and we understand that doing is not how you get to God and not how you please God. Here's a verse in the Bible that says, uh, as you have received Jesus Christ as Savior, so walk ye in him. How did you receive Jesus Christ by Savior, as Savior? By doing a bunch of works? Or understanding that through love he offers his forgiveness in heaven if we would just love him back? That's how you're supposed to walk, not just by doing a bunch of things, but having that amazing relationship that he has opened up through his son. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, 
sinless to die on the cross for something we couldn't do so that he could exchange his righteousness for our sin and because he does that we take up that offer and say i'm in, i'm i'm in count me as one of the group okay because of that that's how we ought to be walking every day not thank you for this free gift of love i love you back awesome now i'm saved i'm going to heaven now let me get back to doing all these works to impress you okay and that's what the pharisees were doing okay god is more interested in you being who he wants you to be than doing just what he wants you to do okay the christian teaching is now as a christian okay i can live in the spirit of the law from the inside out i can be transformed right because without faith it is impossible to please god so only a christian someone who's received jesus christ as savior okay can actually be in a place where they can even please god all right well we keep keep going god oh yeah next slide jesus continues his sermon on the mount right except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and pharisees that's the point they were thinking because they were keeping the old testament law or at least trying their best that they were all set with god and jesus says yeah even those guys who are doing their absolute best it's not what i want it's not going to cut it all right righteousness is not achieved by the keeping of the law so oh, one of my favorite verses in the whole bible for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of god in him okay only by trusting in jesus christ the savior can a person receive righteousness i gotta trouble you is this the right powerpoint i never loaded it that's why i wanted you to have the stick hold on one moment i'm looking at going that third slide was not on this morning's presentation all right we'll keep going while she's looking for that So good, rem- good reminders from last week. No, it's not in office. I looked. So okay, we're experiencing technical difficulty. Please stand by. Somewhere there's a little stick around here with a PowerPoint on it. Okay, um, Jesus is still presenting that the kingdom's righteousness is higher than the righteousness of the Pharisees. Remember, Jesus was coming. Matthew's job was saying the king has arrived, the one that you have been promised all through the Old Testament. And Jesus is sitting down with a bunch of Jewish people saying, folks, if you want to be in my kingdom, the righteousness I'm expecting is a whole lot higher than what these Pharisees are pulling off. They misunderstood that these commandments in the Old Testament were just guidelines they're just the spirit not just the letter and we talked about that right just because i didn't murder someone or i haven't committed adultery on somebody all right i could check those boxes off i am righteous and jesus is no in my kingdom that doesn't work that way you don't just check off a couple of boxes you're missing the spirit of the law and jesus went ahead and explained a lot of those things so this is why unfortunately many people misapply this passage of scripture and especially in what we're going to talk about today. If you haven't gotten a, the idea yet, we're talking about love. That's the last picture that Jesus gives in these illustrations. We just read it. Okay? It says, you know, the Old Testament says, love your neighbors, but hate your enemies. And Jesus said, that is not what it was, the command was in the Old Testament. He says, you guys are adding to the Scripture. We'll look at that in a minute. He says, wait a second, you know, 
um, you're missing the point again. You're thinking, I love the people who love me, right? And we read the passage, right? What does it show if all of a sudden you're showing that you're loving to somebody who already loves you? If you're cordial and nice to those people that uh, you are uh, close with, Jesus says, that's not an illustration of my kingdom. My kingdom is different. Hey, look, there we are. All right, thank you. Thanks, babe. Um, Jesus still presenting the kingdom is higher than the righteousness of the Pharisees. Many people misapply this because of it. And again, we see this teaching in the church. And this is really a tough one here in our community right now. Okay? We have two very, very vivid points in this passage that are coming up daily. Number one, hating people and not loving people. But on the flip side, love everyone and then you are a good Christian. Okay? You do not become a good Christian by loving people. You become a good Christian by asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Once you are a Christian, this is the response that a Christian should have. But there's a crazy teaching in this world right now, and it's amazing to me, the same people who will tell you that you ought to love everybody 100% and never act hateful, turn around and hate on the people who aren't doing what they tell them. Okay, and it's crazy. And they will think and stand up with some sort of badge of righteousness saying, "Ah, God is happy with me because I'm loving everyone. No, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So don't think just because you're acting loving toward people, no matter what those people are, what they choose to be, that you are impressing God. You are not. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Okay, let's keep going on the slides. Okay, remember, there are three applications of Scripture, and this is where important. We've hit rules of Bible study as we've been doing this study a little bit so far. One is a rule of first mention. A lot of times when God, matter of fact, almost all the time when God says something the first time, he continues with that exact same theory. Why? Because God doesn't change. He's unchangeable. So if he says something in Genesis, that truth goes on through the Bible. Okay, historically, Jesus did preach this sermon. Okay, that's not hard to understand. Okay, doctrinally, the physical kingdom could have been there and one day will be set up. And please remember, Jesus is coming here saying, I'm your king. Well, by the time we get to Matthew 13, they reject him as king and says, Jesus says, oh, well, guess that's not going to happen. Okay, so that, the, doctrinally, Jesus was presenting himself as the king of the Jews. He could have set up his millennial kingdom right there. But he didn't because the ultimate goal was to die on the cross. Okay? But here's the personal, the devotional. There are many truths that we can learn as a church. Now catch this. There are many truths we can learn as a church even though this passage is not written to us. And we talked about that. How many times have we looked at this already? That Jesus is talking to, as the Jewish Messiah, to a Jewish group of people about a Jewish kingdom. Okay? This is not to do with the church. I say that because there are a lot of churches today that will preach this message that if a church acts this way, then we're all set because this was what the church should do. And that is not what Matthew has been preaching. All right. But what can we learn from this? A lot about love. So we'll keep going. Now, Jesus uses these six illustrations. We're at the last one. 
killing, murder, adultery, divorce, swearing eye for an eye. And remember last week we talked about vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Okay, don't go after somebody. So those of you who didn't take notes and couldn't remember, it was an eye for an eye last week, okay? Um, so that's what we were talking about. Jesus said, you know, just because you're making a vow to God that you're keeping, you ought to be truthful in everything you're doing. Don't go out for vengeance. God says, yes, there's a consequences to your sin. And remember the whole thing for believers was every one of us, the consequence for our sin, our eye for an eye is you sin comes death. Okay? The wages of sin is death. That's the eye for an eye. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's going, listen, don't go after people. Don't be vengeful and everything. Now Jesus says, but love them. You've heard it's been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, Jesus says, I got to tweak that a little bit because you guys have definitely messed this one up. So he gets off the vengeance and even goes on to, I'm not even going to talk about vengeance eye for an eye. Let's just talk about love. And how bad you Pharisees think you got it all, you know, checked off in all the boxes and you think you're righteous. And God says, <laughs> yeah, not even close. All right, keep going. Verse 48 through uh, 34, try it again, 43 through 48. This is example number six of fulfilling the law, but they were not doing it in spirit. Now, notice, Jesus is very specific. When the Bible says it is written, you can find it in the Old Testament the way it's written. The Bible also many times say it has been said, you have heard, it has been spoken. Meaning the teaching was out there, but you can't find this written in the Bible. So even that is very specific. Jesus is saying here, you know, you've heard it's been said. Well, Jesus is being very specific. It doesn't say what they're saying it said. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. They're saying this is what the Old Testament law is, and Jesus is going, <laughs> no, that's not even close. You guys have made this up, and we'll look at that in a minute. But even these words specifically, Jesus will say sometimes, it is written, and he will quote an Old Testament Bible verse, and you can see it. And then he'll say things like this, you know it's been said, that's because the Pharisees are taking the Old Testament truth and twisting it. Okay, so Jesus is being very specific here. Okay, this is not what the scripture said. They added. Okay, and we'll look at that. Keep going. Okay, and this still happens today, guys. Adding and, and removing from the scripture. Okay, this is why this is very important. And again, I am Baptist in my belief because I believe baptism by immersion is an important thing. I believe Baptists have a strong history of never being protesting from the catholic church control we are not a group that was in the catholic church and came out okay we were the ones that the catholics tried to kill by the millions because we wouldn't go into the infant baptism the holy eucharist and all those things and again you want some books i can give them to you it's amazing history and it's not us saying look what they're trying to do to us it's all the catholic bishops and popes and things going we've tried to kill all these baptists every time we try to kill them there's more of them now, I say that for a reason. I'm Baptist because that's what the Bible teaches. Now, look at that up there very carefully. Is this Bethel Baptist Church? No. This is Bethel Bible Church. 
even though I believe in a lot of Baptist doctrine that are found in this scripture, I have no problem teaching in a preaching in a Bible church because that's where everything is important. If it says it here, it's important. I don't care what religious sect or group or, or whatever you want to associate with you, uh, there are wackos in all of them. I know some wonderful, loving Catholics and Lutherans and Episcopalians and I also know some crazy ones. I know some Baptists who fill a swimming pool with uh, rattlesnakes and climb in there and say, look at Jesus protecting us. I'm like, look at the loons swimming with the rattlesnakes. Okay? It's not about a group of people. It's what about the Bible teaches. This phrase, it's not about what pastors or professors, doctors or theologians say. It is what does the scripture say? That is what is important. That is why Dan and myself and us in the pews, we are so focused on making sure we tell you what the Scripture says. Remember we talked about last week how important it is that we are truthful because sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. That's why every, every time, not every time, that's a lie. See, I'm not even being truthful. That we pray, Lord, you're the teacher. It's your word. I don't step back here in this. There's no special carpet here that all of a sudden turns me into somebody who's holy. I can still mess up just as easy standing here as I can anywhere else. What never messes up is the book. So what they had done, the the Pharisees, is they misquoted scripture. And it happens in churches today, and it happens if we're not careful. And we better make sure we're listening to what God's word says, not to what man says. Want to know why this is so diabolical? I'm not going to read it because I don't want to be here till 3 o'clock. It's Father's Day. We need to go eat some steak or something. Okay? But you remember Genesis? They were given one Bible verse and one commandment. Thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan came in and they had a Bible that had one verse. And he misquoted it, and she misquoted it, and all of a sudden they disobeyed God. One verse, not 66 books worth. The devil from the very beginning has been someone who has attacked the word of God. It is so important that we understand that this is his truth, not this. So if I say something and you go, wait a second, pastor, what does this verse say here? And I'll go, ooh, well, let's sit down and talk about this. Because I'm not the authority. And neither is any man who walks this earth. It is God's words that's the authority. And Jesus is pinning them down on this, right? What does the Bible say? The Pharisees and the priests taught that it's okay to love some people and hate others. Now look back to verse 43 just for a second because I want you to see this. When Jesus is quoting, he says, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. We're going to look at that and what it actually says, right? Okay, keep going in the slides. The debate is, first, who is my neighbor? Okay, it's the guy that lives right next door, right? Dudes across the street, those are my neighbors. Uh, How about Mr. Rogers? He'll tell you who your neighbor is, right? All right, so the Bible, please, this is another key of Bible study. Don't look up neighbor in Webster's Dictionary. 
Go to the Bible. This morning Dan did it again, and we'll do it here in a minute. If you want to know what a neighbor is, you go take the word that's neighbor and look it up in God's word and see how he's used it. Okay, we're going to do that right now. Okay? The neighbors were the Egyptians. They were the oppressors. These weren't just friends. These were the bad guys. Okay, look what Jesus said. Look what God says through Moses, right? He says, speak now unto the ears of the people. Let everyone borrow of his neighbor, every woman of her neighbor, jewels of silver, jewels of gold. They were going to leave Egypt. How many of you watched Charlton Heston? Dun, 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 right? They go to their folks around them, and they, the Bible says it's, they said he spoiled them. Meaning they went to all the Egyptians, their neighbors, and took, so God says, okay, even the folks that were the oppressors, the ones that for hundreds of years had kept them in slavery, God qualifies as their neighbors. Keep going. The stranger was a neighbor, okay? And if a stranger sojourn with thee in the land, thou shalt not vex him, but the stranger that dwelleth with thee um, shall be as unto you uh, one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. Sounds familiar, right? Jesus says, love your neighbor. He says, even if a stranger comes and hangs around with you, you're supposed to treat him as if he was one of your family. Okay? Um, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Keep going. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Time's sake, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you remember, poor guy falls a victim of robbers and is wounded and left uh, lying on the side of the road. And a priest comes by and a, a Levite comes by and a, a Samaritan comes by. Okay, And all of them look at this poor dude. And after Jesus tells the whole story about the priest walking by and doing nothing and the, and the Levite walking by and doing nothing, and finally the Samaritan comes and helps him, Jesus asks the Pharisees this very pointed question. Which now of these thinkest thou was neighbor to him that fell among thieves? Didn't mean he lived next door. It was a way that you treated someone. Okay, here's the illustration that God's given us. A neighbor is anybody who God puts in your path. These Levites, Samaritans, didn't mean they lived on the same street. He just happened to walk by and see this poor guy, stranger, and he was a neighbor to him. Because he did what God had told him to do. So when it says, uh, the Bible, you've heard it said, you love your neighbor, well, we better decide who our neighbor is. So if that's the case, who's your neighbor? I guarantee you today, somebody in here, or one of our members of our church, will meet a neighbor they've never met before. And I don't mean because you're having a Father's Day cookout and the guy wants to come over and bum a couple of ribs off the Barbie from you. You're going to go to the grocery store and you're going to see a neighbor. Why? Because it's not about a person's location. It is if God has put them in your path. So if it's a person you met, might be an oppressor, might be a stranger, might be anyone that God puts there. They're your neighbor. So who are you supposed to love? Hmm. Anyone that God puts in your path. <laughs> Believe me, I know that's not as easy as it sounds. But this is where God is, Jesus is trying to tweak, trying to remind us what he expects, right? Keep going. 
Notice the misquote of verse 43. Now, we just read it. It says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, right? That's what Jesus said the Pharisees were saying. What does the Old Testament really say? Thou shalt not, whoop, keep going. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord your God. What's missing there? Okay, look at that verse again. Now read that last part as I read 14, uh, 43. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. What's missing? Hate thy enemy. You see how important it is that you be specific about the scripture the pharisees had added and that's why jesus said it is written he didn't say that he said you know it's been said love your neighbor hate your enemy god never said hate your enemy they put that one in there they added to the scripture god said love your neighbor i am the lord your god see how important it is to make sure we're not just listening to some religious leader who's standing up and quoting scripture look to the actual word of god because they had over hundreds of years developed habits and customs on how to treat people on a verse that didn't even exist it's important we stick with the scripture jesus said man (laughs) you're choosing to hate certain people (laughs) wrong Your neighbor is whomever God puts in your path. You're supposed to love them. There's nobody that you should be hating. Nobody. Okay, keep going. Notice something here. It says, love thy neighbor as thyself. A couple of things that's very important in that phrase. God's word specific. Number one, as you would love your own self. As you would be treated. This is kind of like that golden rule thing, right? Do unto others as. Okay. This says, you know what? You need to love people. We just saw a stranger. Treat, as a, treat them as if there was some, they were somebody born in your own house. Like they were family. Okay, that's what the Lord Jesus is saying. Notice something it's not, though. And this is where we've gotten into this weird psychological uh, psychology in our world where it's self-help. I need to learn to love me. Okay, that's not what this verse is saying, but some people get it. You know how many self-help books you can find out there? Millions. I just need to learn to love me. No, you don't. As a matter of fact, when I look at our Bible, the more we look at our own selves, the more despised we are because we're broken. We're not supposed to love us. That's why we want God's help, because we're a mess. I need to learn to love me. No, you don't. You need to remember God loves you no matter what you are and wants to fix you. But there's so many people in this world who've got an inflated ego problem because they've learned to love themselves. Hogwash. It's not biblical. The reason we need a Savior is because we hate the way we act. Nothing wrong with that. We need fixing. Oh, but I need to develop a healthy love for myself. <clears throat> okay. This is not instruction on self-help. I need to love, to love my neighbors as I love myself, so I really need to love myself. No, you just want to be able to treat them the way you would expect to be treated. Okay. Keep going. 
Notice another thing. And hate thy enemy. This is added on. It's been Satan's attack from the very beginning is add to God's word. Okay? Remember, please, the Bible is God's absolute authority. Not a pastor, not a teacher, not a theologian, not your grandmother, not the author of a self-help book. God's word. We've got to be focused on what God's word. And they messed up for hundreds and hundreds of years because they added to the scripture. Keep going. Okay, Jesus is reminding them of a truth in the Old Testament teaching. Now, Jesus is going to complete this, but Jesus said it never said hate your enemies. As a matter of fact, it was a sin to have a bad attitude toward enemies. Guys, when we were studying Job together, if I rejoice in the destruction of him that hate me or lift up myself, when I found he's listing some things saying, God, you know, I didn't do this bad thing. I didn't do, you know, I, I was living a pretty, I didn't even hate people who, or rejoice when people got what was coming to them right karma how many of you sit back and say oh i've been waiting for it to come his way Mm. you know i could list some people in politics right now that i would just love to see them get what's coming to them last week though we looked at vengeance is mine saith the lord Job says, listen, I haven't sinned in my heart wishing evil on some or celebrating the fact that they finally got what was coming to them. Why? Because we're supposed to love our neighbor. Right? You all, we, the old campfire song we used to sing all the time, right? They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Jesus said, remember, you guys, you screwed up. The Old Testament said you shouldn't even be rejoicing in people that hate you, getting what's coming to them. Okay, keep going. This is taught in the Old and the New Testament. Proverbs said, if thy enemy hunger, give him bread. If he thirsts, give him drink. Your enemy. The Pharisees added that part, hate your enemy. Jesus said that was never the commandment of God. Matter of fact, Romans tells us the same thing in the New Testament. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he uh, thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. Overcome, uh, excuse me, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, this is yin and yang. Nature's going to balance itself. Karma, what goes around, comes around. God says, that's not what the kind of attitude my people have. You love them, even if they're your enemy. We talked about that last week. What does it mean to hit coals of fire in the head? Don't exactly know, but you give, give maybe two conclusions. If you love somebody when they're really trying to get you, it can either make them even more angry with you because what they're doing is not getting under your skin, or they can realize that their response is not the proper one. You're offering love, and maybe they'll ease up and realize that we're not here to hate anybody. God says love. Okay, keep going. Love your enemy is a new attitude. Here's the passage. Think not that I've come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. So Jesus is really hitting this one. Some of the other ones we, they quoted directly about thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. They misquoted this one terrible. And Jesus says, listen, I got to straighten you guys out about this. It never said hate your enemy. Keep going. Remember, and this is the key.
we used to be enemies of God. If God's illustration, if God's standard was loving, uh, hating your enemy, not one of us would be on our way to heaven. Because we were all enemies of God. And God, in his ultimate love, looked at us even when we were enemies and offered his son, his only son, to die on the cross in the ultimate act of love for us. How we turn around, I don't know how I can love my enemy. Well, you experienced it personally because you used to be an enemy of God, and so did I. And God reached out and said, uh, even though I have every right to hate you, I don't. I'm going to reach out in love. That's how you and I can do it. Now hang with that thought because we'll finish that up in a minute. God commendeth in love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies of God, but because the love that God showed through his son, Man, keep going. Remember, love does not give us a pass to sin. Now, this is where I talked about earlier in this culture that we are in right now. Well, we just need to love people no matter what their choices are. Okay, just, you know, don't call, remember we talked a couple of weeks ago about let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. That sometimes you have to say nay. No. Well, even though we love the person, listen to this again. But God is love. Yeah, he is love. He is the ultimate expression of love. He is love. But these six things, not people, but things doth the Lord hate. Even though God himself is the ultimate expression of love, we love him because he first loved us. He reached out to us in love to deliver us from our sins. He hates sin. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Pause for our baby bottle blessing there. Our pregnancy resource center. Hands that are swift to shed innocent blood. Keep going. A heart that devises wicked imagination. Boy, we can just list so many things here. Okay. Um, feet that are swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. God, who is love, hates these things. Now that throws in the face of what is going on in our culture right now. That we need to accept people lovingly no matter what their behavior is. And yes, we love the person, but we hate what they are doing. And there's nothing wrong with that because God himself, who is perfect, who never sins, who doesn't do anything wrong, hates these behaviors. So that doesn't mean we go out in this world and give a pass to people when we know they are doing things that, give, that break God's law that violate his truth. So somebody comes up to me and says, this is what I've chosen to do in my life. I don't have to tell them I like it. 
I don't have to tell them that God's okay with that. Does God love them? Absolutely. Should I love them? Yes, without a doubt. Do we like what they're doing? No. And we don't have to admit we like what they're doing. And I said this a couple of weeks ago. It would be really easy to do what a lot of the Christian uh, groups do nowadays and just avoid the fact that they're breaking God's law. Oh, you've chosen that lifestyle? Well, that's okay. God loves you. No, it's not okay. Yes, God does love you, but that's not okay. I'm a mass murderer. Well, that's okay. God loves you. It cracks me up because some of the same people who will say, forgive and allow those behaviors to continue because God loves are the same ones that says, how can somebody who's in prison who was a murderer accept Jesus and now it's okay? Now, now, what a double standard. Okay, God loves everyone. He is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He gave his son to die for the sins of the whole world. But that doesn't mean that behaviors that people go on, because we love people, we let them get away with it. I love my children. I say love, not loved. I still love them. Okay? But in love, that doesn't mean I let them get away with everything. Oh, boys, you're running out there with the gasoline and matches? Go ahead. I love you. I wouldn't want to say no to you because that would just not be loving. No. I said, what are you doing? (laughs) Man, Hebrews is real clear on this. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. If you're not chastened by your father, then you're a bastard. You don't have a loving father. That's what the word of God says. So we love, but sometimes that means we don't let people do things that we know are wrong. Don't buy into this stuff that's out there in soft Christianity that says we need to just allow everybody to do what they want because God is love. That's a bunch of hogwash. Keep going. Love. In the Bible, in the Greek... There are three, uh, four different kinds of loves that are listed. Eros is a sensual desire. Storhe is family love or affection. Phileo is brotherly love, and that's where we get the city Philadelphia, right? Uh, city of brotherly love. And agape is the unconditional love. Okay, all of these are love that God lists in his Bible. Okay, uh, there are three of them in particular but two more often than not that god displays over and over and over that he uses in regards to us and we need to be using in regards to others okay keep going the two that we see most prominently oops uh go go ahead (laughs) i jumped one slide ahead go back to that one move forward one there we go christians make a mistake of limiting to one kind of love how many, uh, how many of you have heard this uh, phrase that says, um, well, I love you, but I don't have to like you? Come on, have you heard that before? Well, God says there's unconditional agape love, but there's also friendship love. Both of them are things that God expects. Okay, now that doesn't mean you need to be a buddy with somebody but that also doesn't mean you walk up and say, well, I, I, I need to love you unconditionally. Okay, you make me sick. 
but I love you unconditionally because that's what I'm supposed to do. That is true. You're supposed to do it. It's a commandment. But if we lose connection with the fact that you want to know that each and every one of us used to make God sick? Still do sometimes, don't we? Matter of fact, doesn't the Bible say, uh, if you're not hot or cold, I just want to make, it makes me want to puke? You've got to be careful and we think, look at somebody's behavior and go, I couldn't love that person. Their behavior is disgusting. Well, so is yours and so is mine to God. Yet he still loves us. How many times did, uh, I was thinking of, of babies. I saw an illustration the other day of uh, coming up on Father's Day, right? Of poor dads trying to change diapers. You guys have seen it, right? I don't know if God gave moms a special gift for that. Okay, it's in their genes or something where they can just do that without a problem. Dads get up there and, I mean, they just unsnap the onesie and they're going, right? Can't, can't do it. You know what? I love my kids and not everything about them was great. Sometimes it was disgusting. Okay, I was okay with diapers. My wife will tell you, changing diapers are great. If the kid puked, forget it. I was gone. I had to run out of the house or she'd be cleaning up two piles of, Okay, I know this isn't this wonderful sermon illustration, isn't it? But what I'm trying to say is just because you love someone doesn't mean you're not going to see things that are disgusting, that repulse you. We put up with it with each other. I'm telling you, there's certain times that some of you guys and myself have been in the hospital and you've come to visit. It's not the one most wonderful place to visit someone. And sometimes you see more and smell more and hear more than you want to. But because we do it because of love. We need to understand that there's people in this world who may have behaviors and things in their lives that make us cringe. But that doesn't mean we don't love. Because that's what God does for me every day. At the end of every day, I go, eh, all right, Lord, that wasn't a bad day, but I'm still sorry for this, that, and the other where I messed up because... There's not a single day we can get by without doing something that's dumb. And God could easily go, I'm done with you. He doesn't. Even in our stupidity, even in those things that make us, well, I didn't even commit any really bad sin today. Yeah, but God says if you're neither hot nor cold, it still makes me want to puke. If you were complacent today, lazy, lackadaisical, God says, I'm not real happy with that either. The reason we know we can go out and love other people is because God loves us. And that's why we talked about the fact that I don't need to learn to love me. I need to remember that even as bad as I am, God still loves me. If I self-help myself thinking I'm wonderful, then it's no big deal that God loves me. No, it's a big deal that God loves me and I'm still a mess. And that helps me to love others. So I can go out with that unconditional agape love, but how am I going to love this person as a friend when I, I just look at them and say, I know what could fix his problem. I know what can help her out of that issue she's in. I'm not just doing unconditionally. I have to love you because God told me so. I go, you know, yet, by the gra- yet for the grace of God, there go I. The problems that those person had, I know the person who's got the cure, and that's Jesus. I can be the friend of that person because I want to help them. Amen? Keep going. All right. Oh, I didn't even finish that. Go back to that. 
Okay? God is love. He created love. Here's the commandment for us as a church, right? As believers. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The problem with Christians who don't love is they've forgotten how much God loves them. If you know God and know how much he puts up with you and still loves you, keep going. Okay. We are then to love as he loves us. Agape and phileo. We're supposed to do both. Unconditionally love you, but I can reach out to you as my friend because I want the best for you because that's what God wants. Yes? Okay, keep going. Notice this. In this verse, it mentions both of these. Okay? Seeing that you have purified your souls in the obedience of truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love for the brethren. That's phileo in the Greek. Brotherly love. See that ye love one another agape with a pure heart fervently. Both phileo and agape. I love you unconditionally with a pure heart because that's how God loves me. But you know what? I can do it. Unfeigned love of the brethren. Because you know what? I don't know. There's just things about her that bug me. And I'm sure there's things about you that bug her. And because there's things about us that bug God. But we can still reach out and love one another like he did. All right, keep going. Which kind of love do we show? All of them are God's love. Can't just pick and choose. Okay, the English language has two words. Okay, those are the Greek. We talk about love and charity, right? Which one of those do we share? We, all, we talk about charity all the time and everybody grabs their wallet. Right? Because that's what we qualified in the tax code of giving something to someone. We, we shouldn't select which part of love we're willing to give. We had to love the way that God loves. And that's 100%. Alright, last little bit. Notice it says, you're a children of your father. I wanted to stop here for a minute because this is Father's Day. Okay, it doesn't just say children of the father. It says children of your father. It is all based on the relationship with God. Is he your father today? I'd love to ask that question in churches all over this country right now that are full of millions of people. He's not just the heavenly father. Is he your heavenly father? There is a difference. Okay. Uh, notice the relationships brings a proper attitude. It says that ye may be the children of your father. Meaning, you ought to have, a, just because he's your father doesn't mean you got it down. I know, I could talk about my three children, and there are times I would shake my head and go, I can't believe they're acting this way. You know one of the things that bugs me the most, Lydia's back there now, she can attest to this. And this is the simplest thing, but I don't understand why this bothers me so much. But how many of you sat down at a, at a, a, at a restaurant, and you peeled the straw, and shoot the straw wrapper? That just bugs me to death. I like, I want to get up from the table and say, these are not my children. Okay, it's just one of those things. And, and one day it played out. We were sitting at the friendlies, and Micah thought he would be cute. And it was Kim and I, and Micah's on that side. And he shot the straw wrapper, went right past my ear, over the booth, and right into the food of the guy at the next table. I said, see, this is why we don't shoot straw wrappers. Okay, 
And the big thing is just like, these are not my children. These are not my children. Nope, nope, nope. They're, a, they're, they're, you know, they're on loan from the local correction facility. To see the point, God is not saying, you love to become one of my children. You love because you are one of my children. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But once you have faith, you want to please him. He said, you know, it should be the right response to somebody who is a child of God. Keep going. Okay, notice God chooses to bless this whole world. It rains on the just and the unjust. God doesn't look down at this planet and say, okay, you're my children, you get everything, you guys heathen, forget it. God is good to everyone. Sometimes we wonder, why? But he is. It doesn't mean that salvation is given to all. When it says he reigns on the just and the unjust, that doesn't mean we're all God's children. Because God is love, and God wouldn't send anyone to hell. I'm sorry, we're all on our way to hell without Jesus' rescue mission. He's not sending anybody there. That's where we're all headed. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Narrow is the way that leadeth, and few find it. We're all headed that way. But we are not all God's children. Okay, one of my favorite verses to talk about this, John 8, 44, to the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders who were keeping all these laws, Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. Not everybody who walks this planet are a child of God, and you will hear that. We're all God's children. No, we are not. We are all God's creation, and God loves all of us, but we are not all God's children. That only comes through what we talked about a few minutes ago. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. That's how we become a child of God. Keep going. All right. Last little thing we're going to deal with here. And I know I can explain this because I'm the only one in this room who is actually perfect. You can ask my wife. It's Father's Day. She has to say yes. It's Father's Day. The only one that trumps that is birthday. If it was my birthday, I can get away with it. No, listen. In the Bible, perfect never means sinless perfection. Okay? Never. Okay? It means complete or mature. Okay, that's what the Scripture... Now, this is where important... This is a rule of Bible study. If you don't have a concordance or a concordance program on your phone or your computer... I recommend you get one because what Dan does in Sunday school this morning, what we're going to do right here, this is how you let the Bible define itself. Okay, important rule of Bible study. Okay, the word perfect, the Bible defines that. So the Greek word for perfect is found in this verse. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be children, but in understanding be perfect. That's the same Greek word that he uses as be men. So does it mean men? Are we perfect? No, he's saying don't be a child, be a grown-up. See, be complete, be mature. It doesn't mean that you and I are going to walk around perfect like me. 
Okay? It doesn't mean we're going to achieve sinless perfection. It means be a grown-up. Remember what Paul says? Listen, you know, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. God says, you know what? If you want to be perfect, grow up. Start adulting. Okay, it's the same Greek word. Look to the next verse as the Bible helps us define perfect. Be strong, oh, excuse me, but strong meat belongeth to them who are of full age. Same word. You want to know what perfect means? It means of full age. Some of us are fuller than others in our age. But you get it? This is not sinless perfection. This means mature, complete. Because if we were supposed to be perfect like God is perfect, something in the Bible's wrong. If this is talking about sinless perfection. Because none of us can reach that level. We just talked about it. Don't we mess up every single day? So God's finished this thing, thing up going, you're not going to be perfect, neither is the world. You need to love each other anyway because I loved you when you weren't perfect, when you weren't sinless. Then he says, so be perfect as I'm perfect. Be mature. How does that work? Um, a lot of times bus kids, when we were running the bus routes, would come here, and some of them weren't the cleanest children. Some of them weren't the best-behaved children. Some of them weren't the most well-spoken children. But you know what? I'm upwards of 30 years old at that age. You know what I don't do? I don't get in a knockdown, drag-out argument with a six-year-old. Well, you're a poopy head. Come on, I say something that silly. Why? Because I'm a grown-up. Right? You know what's happening in this world today? You're seeing a bunch of pre-adolescent adults argue and fight about stupid stuff. They're just acting like children. And God's saying, you want to learn to love each other? You've got to grow up. When you're a grown-up, you don't let these little things. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Come on, you with me? When you're a grown-up, you put away this silliness. The only way you and I are going to be able to learn to love people is not to act like children. Be perfect. Become of full age. Look at this next verse. It doesn't use the word, but it defines the... Oh, well, yeah, here. The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be his master. Now, this is not talking about Jesus and his disciples. This is talking about master and apprentice. Okay, if I want to be a master electrician... I go and I apprentice under an electrician. And after a while of doing that, I learn, I complete, I grow, I get all the tools, and I become a master. Why? Because I grow up. I learn how to do things I'm supposed to. That's what this verse is talking about. You want to be perfect, it means get to the point now where you're mature and complete. It doesn't mean that uh, all of a sudden a disciple, a servant, become sinlessly perfect it means no they grow up and mature now they can be the master so picasso who's training one of his uh, you know underlings in painting when picasso dies one of those guys picks up the paintbrushes and starts continuing the work that's what we're talking about perfect this is not sinless perfection last one all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for proof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect 
comma, and it describes what perfection is. Truly furnished unto all good works. That the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished. Not that the man of God might be sinless, but the man of God might be completely ready to do whatever God wants him to do. Last couple of weeks with Dan in Sunday school, he's been reminding us that God would always give us what we need. He doesn't ask us ever to do a job that he doesn't give us the ability and the resources to do. That the man of God might be of full age, perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. There's not one of us in the family of God that God asks us to do something that he doesn't equip us to do. The problem is, do we do it the way God asks us to do it? Just because you are fully equipped and thoroughly furnished to be able to do it doesn't mean we go out and do it. I've got a whole tools worth, a, a whole garage worth of tools that a carpenter and contractor can use, but that doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily go on a job site and do a good job, does it? I might have everything I need, but it doesn't always work. Because I, I, I see some, some of these guys drive around in these beautiful big trucks with all the fancy tools, and then I watch the job that they do and go, oh my word, why is he even in the business? Just because you have everything you need doesn't mean you do the what you're supposed to do. Being mature is being perfect. Growing up, being complete, that's what God's asking for. So what Jesus is saying, and here's where we're coming to an end, For the law made nothing perfect, complete. But the bringing in of a better hope did. Now catch this. This is the author of Hebrews saying, listen, the law couldn't cut it. But you know what was better than the law that was brought in? Jesus himself. The law didn't make anybody perfect. But when Jesus came, salvation, that did. But here's the key by the which we draw nigh unto God. You know the only way you and I are going to be able to love people is when we are be able to be close to God. This is why Father's Day is a perfect day for this. The only way I'm able to offer my love to God, uh, to, to others, is because I'm in such a loving, close relationship with my Heavenly Father that I understand what true, unconditional love really is. I had a wonderful, loving, earthly father. Still do. We have a great relationship. And because of that, I can comprehend what it is to be a loving father to somebody else. Some of us didn't have that. Some of us, maybe we were the first generation to break the ice of a loving heavenly father or mother because we didn't know what that is like. But you and I as believers can love other people when we understand what it is to have a close, loving relationship with our God. That's why this morning we sang all these things. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. Okay, Love lifted me. All the songs this morning was to remind us again. The only reason we can go out and love people, our enemies is because we can have such a close relationship with God and know he loves us even though we don't deserve it. Because we don't. And the people out there that we look at and go, you don't deserve my love either, but my God loves me when I don't deserve it, so I can offer it to you too. 
but that's all based on, on us being close to God. If we're not basking in his wonderful love every day, we have nothing to draw from. But if we're in a relationship with God where we're experiencing that love every single day, it's easy to turn around and offer it to somebody. You know, we have this strange phrase in our world that is sort of used about buying somebody a donut. It's called pay it forward. Oh, well, I was at the drive-thru and I decided to buy the car behind me there. You know, uh, you just pay it forward. What a silly illustration. You want to know what pay it forward is? The way God loves us, we can go out and love others. That's the ultimate description of pay it forward. Draw an eye unto God. That's the only way that, that we're able to love the way he does. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. And Lord, there's no way we could comprehend it. There's no way my words can explain it. But Lord, in each and every one of our hearts, we have experienced it. Father, we know the mess that our lives still are. Boy, they were an absolute disaster without Christ. But Father, they're still not the greatest thing, even with our salvation secure. But Lord, it's because of understanding of what that true love really is. Father, it's the only way we can go around and offer it to anyone else. Father, not unconditional loving someone, holding our nose because we don't want to do it. Father, it's reaching out unconditionally because we know that if they only knew the Savior, their lives could be changed. That's the only reason we are where we are, Father, is not because we're something special, but you have changed us. And so, Father, we've been talking over and over, even Dan ended Sunday school, Lord, this morning with go out there and tell somebody about Jesus. Father, the only way we can do this is because we have a close relationship with you. So, Lord, I just pray you would help every one of us not just go be a testimony. We know we will be. But, Father, make it so that we are more and more interested every day in becoming closer to you. Father, so that as your love just encompasses all our whole life, we're able to take that love and share it to somebody who may be hard to love. Because it's not just about loving those people who love us back. Father, it's about loving our enemies as well. Father, your love reaches out to this whole world. Help us to do the exact same thing. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.